Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. Now, I don't know what your experience of school was like, um, but my experience of school was that uh, the whole year group was split up into different social groups, uh, and everyone stayed very squarely in their own social group, their own social segment. So if um, you were a, a musical person, you stayed with your musical group of friends. At my school, the music kids hung out in the music classroom, and they would pretend like their life was Greece 24-7. They would sing around the keyboard, they would play their instruments, they would talk about music things. There were the, the thugs that would patrol the playground, and they would try and work out uh, which children looked a bit weak and a bit weedy, and whose um, who's lunch money they could nick. <laughs> I, I was not hard enough to be one. I've never been hard enough to be one of the thugs. They nicked my lunch money when I was growing up. Uh, there were also the footballers, the, the boys mainly, who played in the same football team at the weekend. Uh, and they would tear around the playground and play football together and trade match attacks. There were the hot ones who would just kind of stand there and look hot. And they didn't seem to do a lot, but they just looked good. And you knew that they were at the top of the social pecking order. I didn't make the cut to be with the footballers, the music kids. I couldn't even make it with the geeks. I didn't have the computer skills to hang out with them. I never got close to the hot ones, even, even though I did, I did try. <laughs> I, I was socially in the left behinds. And we had no defining social feature other than the fact that we were neither the coolest nor the least cool. We weren't the most clever nor were we the least stupid. We were just squarely in the middle, the kind of bland middle ground. Uh, and we would all hang out and spend time together. I remember school as being uh, very segregated. And you spent time with the people that sounded and looked like you and had the same interests as you did. I kind of hoped that as I grew older, those um, different kind of social segments would kind of mature, and, and the lines do blur, blur slightly. When I um, was in my last year at school, I, um, I was a keen flute player, and I joined a flute quartet. 
And uh, the music kids just about acknowledged me in the corridor. But, um, but the social uh, barriers, the social segments, didn't ever really seem to completely fall apart. Uh, they just change and they shift and they evolve until uh, we arrive at something approaching adulthood. Uh, and I don't know what your social group is like, but mine often speak and talk and look and have the same interests as me. Uh, I went to a, a party a couple of weeks ago, and everyone looked pretty much the same as I did. Uh, we all had like, roughly similar interests, roughly similar hair, uh, and we find that uh, people spend time, we spend time with people who look and want to live in the same way that we do. And we spend time with people who have the same values as we do, the same prejudices as we do, the same um, thought patterns that we do. Uh, and sometimes that's completely by accident. Sometimes we just happen to be in a workplace and our colleagues happen to hold a similar set of values and think a particular way and so we make friends with them. Uh, maybe our kids go to the same school and we see the same kinds of parents at the school gate and it all just kind of happens by mistake almost. But there are uh, other ways that we get segregated that though they have the same impact or a little bit more sinister, it's, it's been in the news lots recently, uh, we get segregated based on race based on whether we're a, a refugee or not a refugee, uh, based on what our sexuality is. Uh, as a white, middle-class, straight male, I didn't think there was such a thing as discrimination anymore because the world is loaded in my favor. And then I married a white, middle-class female who I assumed had a similar set of benefits, and it turns out that being a woman is much, much harder and much, much more complicated than I thought it was going to be. Going to... I'm not... <laughs> That was not a disclosure. <laughs> Alice doesn't know. Let's keep it cool. Keep it moving. But, but the world continues to be divided and segregated and separated. Uh, and sometimes we just get uh, kind of seamlessly caught up in it. Uh, and other times our own prejudices, uh, our own um, the, the lenses that we see the world through, uh, reinforce and create those prejudices. Uh, today's passage is all about breaking down those divisions. Uh, Jesus comes and he brings reconciliation. Uh, the Google definition of reconciliation is the restoration of relationships. Uh, restoration of relationships. Jesus came so that you and me, no matter where we come from, no matter what our background, no matter what we've done, we could be in a reconciled, a restored relationship with God. We could be reconciled to God's. He also came so that you and me could be reconciled to each other, so that we as people together in this world could be reconciled, could have restored relationship with each other. When you read the Bible, you spot different patterns and rhythms emerge. One of the patterns that comes out as we read the Bible is that God does something in us, and then he causes, then he does it through us. So we have been reconciled to God. Uh, you and me have been reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. Uh, and as we leave this building, as we leave this place, we're called to bring reconciliation wherever we go. So wherever we see prejudice, wherever we see um, something that isn't of God that brings about division and separation, we are called to bring about reconciliation. Uh, 2 Corinthians says that I have given you a ministry of reconciliation. Part of being God's people in this world uh, is that where there once was separation, we seek to bring restoration, restored relationships. 
And our passage uh, this morning talks uh, all about that. Uh, It's written by um, someone called Paul. uh, And Paul is writing uh, from prison in Rome to a church in Ephesus. Uh, And he's writing to the the Christian community there. Uh, And he, uh, in our passage, is mainly talking about the separation between Jews and Gentiles between Jews and Gentiles. Now, uh, Jews were were people who believed and trusted in the Jewish God. Uh, And within that world, uh, you are either a Jew or a Gentile, uh, and Gentiles are basically anyone who isn't a Jew. So if you are here and you are not a Jew, you are therefore by default a Gentile. I have never been even remotely Jewish, therefore I am a Gentile. I'm willing to bet that most of us here are Gentiles. So uh, the the division in that culture was around, are you a Jew or are you a Gentile? And that was the the marker used to separate and to decide who was in and who was out. Uh, And lots of the um, angst and the tension between the Jews went back for centuries. It was a really long, bitter feud. Uh, They had not, they could not, and they would not ever get along with each other. And yet, in this church that Paul is writing to in Ephesus, Jews and Gentiles, these two groups who'd been rowing, who'd had a a feud going back centuries, they now had to live side by side. Uh, Because the Gentiles now believed in Jesus, and some of the Jews now believed in Jesus, and they needed to be able to get alongside and worship each other, and worship God together. Some strange slips happening today. (laughs) They need to be able... It's been six weeks since I preached. It's a long time. Give me some credit. Uh, They needed to be able to get alongside and worship God together. Uh, But that um, tension uh, went back for centuries and it was deep-rooted. And I think for lots of us, it's quite hard to work out just how ingrained and how toxic the relationship between Jew and Gentile had become. Uh, William Barclay, who um, is someone who who writes lots about the Bible, uh, wrote this about the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews, he writes, had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of the nations that he made. It was not even lawful to render help help to a mother in the hour of her labor, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jew married a Gentile, the funeral of that Jew was carried out. Such was the contact with the boy, the Jewish boy or girl, was considered the equivalent of death. If a Jew marries a Gentile, their funeral gets carried out. Uh, That's unspeakable. Can you imagine living in a culture in a time where who you marry was of such importance? And if you marry the wrong person from the wrong class, the wrong culture, the wrong faith, then it's like you are dead to us. This isn't casual discrimination. This is full-blown racism. Full-blown racism. And that racism, that inequality, cannot stand and it's not acceptable within the kingdom of God. Uh, disrespecting, disregarding someone based on their ethnicity, the color of their skin, uh, their religious background is completely unacceptable within the context of the kingdom of God. Uh, And so uh, Paul uh, starts to address some of this. Uh, Circumcision is the the way that lots of this would have uh, played out. Uh, Within the Jewish culture, one of the ways they would uh, identify themselves as different and as distinct uh, is when a, a boy was eight 
eight days old, he would be circumcised. And that would be a, a sign, a marker, that he was part of the Jewish family, the Jewish community. Uh, it was a, a huge deal within their community and within their context. To the extent that if you called someone uncircumcised, uh, you couldn't level a worse insult on them. Uh, if one Jew called another Jew uncircumcised, that was deeply offensive because you were questioning their standing in this community. Uh, and Paul uh, makes reference to circumcision in our passage this morning. Uh, he says, uh, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, and this is the, the key bit, uh, he says, which is done in the body by human hands. So circumcision uh, is a, a hugely important part of Jewish culture. Uh, and Paul comes in and he says, well, circumcision is done by, uh, in the body by human hands. Uh, he removes any reference from God in that. And now Paul's not saying that circumcision was never important, that it wasn't part of something God was doing in those people, but he's highlighting that well, this is something that you do to each other. This is one human making a mark on another human to identify their relationship with God. Uh, Paul is undermining something that's hugely important uh, within the culture. And he's saying, oh, there's actually something bigger that's happening. There's something far greater and far deeper at play. Uh, Paul just gently undermines uh, part of uh, the Jewish way of expressing themselves. Uh, but Paul isn't um, just trying to um, undermine um, the Jewish context, but he's also speaking into the Gentile side of things. And he says, oh, uh, Gentiles, remember uh, that you were far away. You were far away. You were uh, nowhere in your relationship with God. He says that you weren't part of Israel. Uh, you weren't part of the family and the community that God was building. He says that you were godless. Now, the Gentiles probably did worship gods, but what Paul means uh, is that the gods that you worshipped were completely useless. Uh, they had uh, no power, no authority. You worshipped them and nothing happened. You prayed to them and nothing happened. Uh, so it's like you were godless. So Paul is saying that uh, Jews, it, the way that you define yourself as in and you're out is something that humans do to themselves, but, but Gentiles don't, don't think that your low's better either because uh, you didn't even know God. You weren't even in the family. Uh, you'd removed yourself from him. So Paul uh, starts to identify the weaknesses in both of their positions, uh, and then he goes on uh, to say this about Jesus. He says, but now in Christ Jesus... Uh, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Those of you who were mocked, those of you who were excluded, those of you who were discriminated against, who weren't acceptable, who were segregated from this culture, you have now been brought near. And it's not by something that humans do to one another, but it's by something that Jesus did for each of us today. We have been brought near because God loved us, because he wanted to be in a relationship with us. Uh, you might be here and you might feel far away from God. Uh, you might feel like your faith is fragile and battered, like you've had a, a really difficult week and you can't see what God is doing. Uh, you might be here and you have no faith. Someone's dragged you along to come. Well, Jesus has made it possible for each of us to be near to him, 
for each of us to know him deeply. And he did it through the blood of Jesus, through uh, going to the cross, dying on our behalf for our sins, and making a relationship with God possible for each of us. Through the blood of Jesus, we have been brought near. Paul is saying that this thing that God is doing is far deeper than something that's by human hands. It's longer lasting, it's far more profound. And even you, even you Gentiles who were far away, you are being brought near to God. Uh, and so Paul's addressed the, the grounds for each of their relationship uh, with God. Uh, he's made them equal in that. Uh, and then Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Paul's just um, talked about a dividing wall of hostility. And that dividing wall isn't some kind of imaginary concept. That dividing wall uh, is a real physical wall. Uh, when Paul talks about the dividing wall, uh, he's talking about the wall that goes around the edge of the temple. Uh, that wall uh, was one and a half meters thick. Uh, and all the way around the edge, there were signs on it in Latin and in Greek. Uh, and they found these signs and they're in a, a museum in Istanbul. Uh, and the signs say uh, this. It says, no foreigner, no Gentile, may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will only have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So if you were a Gentile and you tried to get into the temple, the Jewish community is saying, we reserve the right to kill you. Don't, don't say that we didn't warn you. It was on a sign around the temple in a language you could understand. So cry about it if you want, but we're going to kill you. That's a, a fairly stark warning, isn't it, to anyone who wasn't a Jew. If you try and get in here, then we are going to kill you. And the reason that the Jews are so anxious and concerned about someone who was uh, not a Jew getting into their Jewish temple is because they believe that the temple in Jerusalem is where the presence of God was. Uh, and they need, uh, if their holy, pure, clean God is going to be present in that temple, the temple itself needs to be holy, clean, and pure. Uh, and if someone who's a Gentile, i.e. someone who is dirty, defiled, not clean, not pure within their understanding, if they come into the temple, uh, they were anxious and worried that the presence of God would leave that place. Uh, so they set up uh, this very clear, very strict boundary around who is and isn't allowed inside the temple. And if you're a Gentile and you get in, then you're not going to leave with your life because this is that important to the Jewish community. Jesus then did something that is deeply, deeply controversial. Uh, and Paul backs it up uh, in this passage towards the end. Uh, Paul says that in him, in Jesus... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So the, the temple was the place where Gentiles weren't allowed because they were in, unclean, impure. Uh, they would be a, a, a guarantee that the presence of God would no longer be there. And Jesus says, you who were disregarded, you who were discriminated against, you have now become the temple. You have become the place where the presence of God is. If you're here today and you've put your trust in Jesus, you have become the place where the presence of God is. 
You are the temple of his Holy Spirit. Paul is removing every possible barrier, every possible inequality, every possible point at which a Gentile could be discriminated against within this faith community. He said, oh, circumcision, that's by humans, for humans. Gentiles, you were far away, you were a long way off, you were outside of the family, but now I'm bringing you close. Uh, Gent- uh, Jews, you, you need to come to me through the blood of Jesus. He's uh, making Jews and Gentiles come to faith in Jesus the same way. And he's saying, as you come in the same way, I'm going to treat you in the same way, which is to put my spirit within each of you. There is no discrimination. There is no partiality. There's no favoritism within the kingdom of God. God is doing something powerful and deep and profound. We have each been reconciled to God, and we are now reconciled to one another. So as people who have been reconciled to God and are now reconciled to one another, we need to live differently. It might be that you're here today, uh, and you know that there's someone um, who comes to this church that your relationship with isn't whole. It's, It's broken. There's no peace there. You've fallen out about something. God is bringing about a restoration of relationships. I wonder what you need to do uh, to bring about that restored relationship, whether you need to go and have a conversation with them, whether you need to apologize for something. Uh, Maybe uh, you know, um, actually, that the the wrongdoing was all on their part. Unlikely, but maybe that's the case. Uh, As Christians, we have to take up the offense. We have to, to let it go. We have to exercise forgiveness and kindness and grace. And that doesn't mean our relationship will always look the same with them, but we have to go and seek the restoration of that relationship. Maybe there are uh, situations in your home, your work, where uh, the relationship is broken. You need to live uh, in a way that sees that relationship restored. Not necessarily to exactly what it was, but so that it's functional, it's got kindness and respect and gentleness, the values of the kingdom of God at its core and its center. Uh, We're called to seek uh, the restoration of relationships wherever we go. We we live in a a place and a time where people are very, very afraid. Whether it's uh, they're afraid of their neighbors, whether they're afraid of refugees, immigrants, people who look different, sound different. Uh, As ambassadors for the kingdom of God, as people who have been restored to relationship with God and restored in our relationship with each other, we need to seek the reconciliation, the restoration of relationships between people who don't look like us people who don't sound like us, people who have different values, a different way of living, because God has put incredible value and incredible worth on each and every life. I wonder where you need to stand up for restoration and reconciliation. We need to live in a a way that um, demonstrates that we've been restored not just to people, but to this planet, uh, to the way in which uh, we consume resources. Uh, Me and Alice uh, have been really challenged by Uh, the way in which the amount of meat we eat um, affects the environment that we live in, Uh, about the um, amount of uh, methane and gases that um, cows and cattle and all that kind of stuff uh, release. And so we're making decisions around uh, consuming less meat because we want to live a restored relationship, not just with people, but with the world that we live in. Uh, I wonder, what is it that you can um, think about now that you can recognize where it's not restored, it's not whole? Because uh, for each of us here today, God has made a restored relationship with him possible. It might be that you need to respond to that for the first time today. As he's restored uh, his relationship with us, 
Uh, he's restored us in relationship with each other. So there's now uh, no partiality, there's no favoritism. All are equal in this community and before God. And as we recognize that and we live that out, uh, we need to make a difference in the communities that we spend our time in so that we are uh, clearly living for the restored relationship, the restored world uh, that God wants each and every person to live in. Amen.